Hi, and welcome to this episode of the VFX Show. I'm Mike Seymour, and we are going, I kind of want to say back in time, but certainly to uh, my childhood, and uh, really good, really down and funky Japanese tile Godzilla movies, as in Godzilla minus one. Um, I, as a child, used to watch these, uh, the original ones, like uh, late at night, I think on a Saturday night, in some unbeknown show. And I've developed a real love of a good, uh, is Godzilla, uh, Japanese movie. So uh, I'm enthusiastic to do this. And I'm joined by my uh, regular co-hosts, Jason Diamond and Matt Wallen. Jason, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, we're, we're... Did you uh, watch the original Japanese oh, all of Godzilla them. type yeah. movies when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. My brother and I used to, uh, this is in the 70s because I'll have to date myself. Uh, we used to have a little portable cassette recorder and we would record the audio of all the Saturday morning monster movies and then listen to them later. Uh, just the just the audio recordings of the shows because we had no way to record them at the time. Video. So yes, all that Ultraman, all the all the stuff. Cayman Riders. Oh, Ultraman. All the all the guys. Mr. Matt, how about you? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I loved as a kid growing up in Southern California every uh in the summertime i think it was channel five ktla would show old godzilla movies uh some some weekends in the summer and so you could come in from swimming in the backyard pool and chill out in front of the mm -hmm. tv and watch some awesome old godzilla movies also uh, totally watched ultraman and i have to say my uh wife and i we raised our son in the proper fashion uh and he grew up watching uh old godzilla movies and old episodes of ultraman he's also so the question quite a fan. is <laughs> how does how does godzilla minus one fit into the like is it one of those things where those movies were better remembered but not revisited or have they done a faithful addition to the canon by producing this after all incredibly low budget but rather spectacular new godzilla movie I mean, I think it's a pretty faithful, uh, like recreation of the, the overall kind of, um, tonal sense of those old Godzilla movies. Mm -hmm. But I think what's, what's different about this one, which I actually thought was pretty refreshing. I mean, there's, there's so many, you know, we had Shin Godzilla, I think a year or two ago. And then of course we had the, uh, the Godzilla movies, the first being the Gareth Edwards one, sort of the re, re Godzilla, and then going way back to the Matthew Broderick Godzilla in the nineties. Um, but I think what was refreshing about this one is it's, it, it wasn't played maybe in the same way for some of the kind of campy humor of the old Godzilla. It mm -mm. felt like it was, a much more faithful honoring of the the very first Godzilla movie, the original, the Gojira, the uh, Japanese uh, version of the original Godzilla. And it feels much more akin to that kind of, you know, where it's really trying to create the metaphorical connection, uh, you know, between the, the, the atomic age, the uh, bombings of, uh, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of the Second World War um, and sort of this, you know, 
Godzilla as this sort of stand-in for you know uh, the anxieties and fears of uh, nuclear mm -hmm. annihilation. And it, what was cool is this was really told from the perspective of you know the, the sort of joke you know the of the seventies Godzilla movies, sixties and seventies Godzilla movies, where it's like you know the the people running you know and it's all the little tiny people running from the giant <laughs> monster and this is really a story told from the perspective uh you know respectfully i think in a way you know in a dramatic mm -hmm. way of the the point of view of the people running you know so you it's, it's a human story uh much less than it is uh a godzilla story i Jason, for me, I think it would have been incredibly uh, almost offensive if they tried to make the effects kind of campy, because I'm sure that the Japanese filmmakers that when they made the original Godzillas, and to Matt's point, there have been 37 of them, 37 films, mm -hmm. when they were making the originals, they tried to do the best job they possibly oh, yeah. could, right? And so to make the effects campy or dodgy would be kind of insulting. Also, uh yeah you lose that sort of authenticity of actually acting like you care about the material i think the audience wants you to care about the material not be like well we're just doing this to make a buck and i left the cinema thinking this filmmaker really cared about the the franchise i don't know what do you think uh no i agree and i agree with matt too like when we left this left the theater, i went with like eight people because we were in detroit shooting our doja okay. cat we were in Detroit shooting our Doja Cat uh, concert that was just announced today for Meta in uh, Variety. And we had uh, the night off and we jumped in Ubers to like really far south Detroit into a movie theater that we might, I think we were, on, you know, there was half full movie theater, but uh, um, a very remote location. Anyway, I had no expectations. I didn't, all I knew was that there was a new Godzilla movie. I didn't see the trailer, nothing. So I was just excited to see it. And to your point, when we left, I said to, we were all talking about it amongst ourselves. And I said, honestly, I feel like this movie is actually the perfect counterpoint to Oppenheimer because it is hmm. the view, like, let's not forget, Japan is the only country in the world that has witnessed and lived through and absorbed as a culture two nuclear weapons devastating their cities. No other country can really can contemplate it. And I think, to your point, Mike, I don't think they were being campy at the time when they made Godzilla. Obviously, it's a monster movie in the original sense, but they were doing with it what they could, and they were maybe adding that like kind of weird Japanese thing that just happens to things that they do in the culture that has humor, but not intentionally, and, and it has a... An, a, a a viewpoint um, that is, you know, like looking at something from another angle, a la Godzilla, as Matt said, Godzilla as the the reimagining of the nuclear horrors of World War II. And that's what I liked about this particular movie is they went back to World War II. It's from the point of view of like a disgraced suicide bomber who couldn't do the, I mean, that in and of itself could be a whole movie without Godzilla, just yeah. the guy who couldn't do the like culturally shamed and all the things and living amongst the ruins of Tokyo, where he's like meeting people who are scrounging for food in the rubble, like that's horrifying. Uh, and I think yeah. they did a really good job of, of merging the two, where you have a city that's coming back from the ashes 
and a culture that's coming back from the ashes that's then destroyed again <laughs> by Godzilla. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a reason it's about to pass a hundred million dollar mark, right? For a movie that's like sub fifty, probably ten. I think it's like a ten million dollar US. I thought movie. I thought it was thirteen, but yeah. 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 Hey, but before we go on, you just dropped like uh, the Doja Cat reference. So for those, I know, but for those that don't, from kind of currently looking at their audio file going, what? What was that he just said? Back up. So <laughs> let's get that cleared up because as this goes out on what, January 20th is when it's actually coming out. It's announced today, right? Just explain what you were referring to. Yeah, it was to announced there. today, Tuesday, January 9th. Um, uh, my brother and I, uh, have been doing a lot of VR concerts for Meta over the years. But back in September, we shot Blackpink in South Korea with 12 cameras or something in a baseball stadium in VR, which AK VR, which came out just after Christmas on the 26th. And then it was beginning of December in Detroit. We shot Blackpink, uh, sorry, Doja Cat in Detroit in the Little Caesars Arena with six cameras, uh, stereo 8K VR, which will be in the headset on January 20th. Uh, so yeah. uh, for Meta, awesome. which we're super, super excited about. It looks ridiculous. Doja Cat's show is amazing. Not to derail the Godzilla conversation, but she puts on a hell of a no, show. No, no. We, were just, we were just there to capture it. She puts on a hell of a show, so... And I don't derail it either, but you can't just drop that in the conversation. And then like, if I didn't mention it, people would be like, I, also, I hate inside oh, yeah, comments, right? Like, uh, <laughs> no, 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 Wait, it's not that. What? It's just like, if I was listening to this, I'd be yeah. like, what? What was that? Yeah. So that's the Scarlet Tour, right? In VR. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent. Uh, so absolutely awesome. But we're not here to discuss that. But yes, uh, yes I would totally agreed. recommend uh, people are going there and you guys are really knocking it out of the park. Okay. So getting back to our, our, uh, Godzilla. So, so not only was this a low budget film full stop, but there was some pretty good visual effects in it for any budget. Kind yeah. of film. At least that's my opinion, right? There were some hysterically good shots that, um, when I say hysterically good, I'm thinking of that shot of the boat when it comes flying in uh, from the water and you just have that shot of it, uh, half a boat kind of flying in and smashing and uh, and crashing. There's there's a lot of good good stuff here. There, there is, however, a point where we get a slight problem here, right? Because it is incredibly low budget. And so it feels like if we criticize the visual effects, it's kind of a bit like, well, yeah, but you do better for the money, right? So on a, on a film where there's any thing goes and there's like mega amounts of money. I think we can be a little bit more critical on a film like this. It's astounding that they've kind of got the level that they have. Um, though as we get into it, we sort of are criticizing things. We should never lose sight of the fact that it was uh, done on a remarkably small budget with a remarkably small team. Um, Matt, did it feel like if you didn't know, do you think this felt like a small budget film? No, I mean, I think that's what's so, so amazing about it too. And, you know, it, and just, you know, like, I guess, obviously, like, I just thought this was a really great, fun, uh, and like oddly dramatic uh, Godzilla movie. I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was really a fun watch. And, you know, I highly recommend it to anybody who's a fan of effects films. And uh, yeah, I, you don't get the sense that uh, they're skimping. I think, you know, there's probably a few um, just... <laughs> there's probably a few comps here and there where I was sort of like, mm, 
mm-hmm. you know, and maybe one or two uh, uh, scale mm-hmm. uh, speed issues where like, you know, the, the movement of Godzilla for the size of Godzilla is feels fast uh, for the scale. I think he's, he's supposed to be, you know, the size of like a, you know, 20 or 25 story uh, structure. I mean, he's pretty big, you know, um, but I think, I mean, that you know, speed those... of Godzilla moving is a problem in every film where you have anything that big, right? Whether it's, whether it's a Godzilla yeah. movie or not. Right. Um, I remember when we were doing Gareth's yeah. film. Yeah. I was lucky enough to go when they were doing posts at that, at uh, the studio. And they were talking about the fact that the tail, when it swung around at that scale would go, uh, you know, like it break the sound barrier. It was having to move so fast <laughs> or the audience would be bored out of their skull because it would just take a really long time to like turn around. Right. And I think um, we said the same thing about like Pacific Rim too. And some mm-hmm. of the movement yeah. of some of oh, the, yeah. the fists of some of the, the bots and stuff like that. And, but I, you know, I think overall the effects in this are, are so solid and it's such an impressive, um, you know, total body of work. And I, you don't really feel either like, um, I think you do in some, uh, you know, low budget uh, sci-fi monster movies of this ilk where they really just don't show uh, Mm -hmm. much of the monsters. Like, for example, the, you know, I think pretty big budget uh, show on Apple TV that is the, what is it called? The monarch, the monster monarch. And like, you know, high production values, but like, there's not a lot of monsters in that show. (laughs) You know, it's pretty thin on the monster action. And this movie, you know, they don't skimp at all on, uh, you know, Godzilla's screen time. And it doesn't look like they're cutting tons of corners to get it all these shots into the show. And I think that was what was uh, also just really impressive and effective too, I think, as a a viewer. I think one of the things, I, I, I don't, I think you guys might agree, one of the things that probably helps that in a lot of ways is that the director was the writer, director, and visual effects supervisor uh, of the yep. show. And he also did a number of shots himself. Uh, I believe he modeled Godzilla himself and then handed off the sort of so awesome. mostly like, you know, 80% model to the the other artists to like, you know, do all the, you know, kind of tweaks and and real detail work. But he's was able to get his vision directly across. And I think the the design of this Godzilla is good um, because a lot of times yeah. you, they've been, Godzilla's changed over the years and certainly the weird dinosaur one from the Matthew Broderick one was not successful. But, you know, <laughs> I, I feel yeah, like- kind of that I, out. I, Yeah, I feel like we've fallen into this webbed mouth monster vibe since Cloverfield that everyone kind of took from the rancor a little bit. And then you just have this sort of like choose your own monster kit, you know, over the last 15 years or so, 10 years. And this Godzilla, like he feels like you can see his, he doesn't really have shoulders, which he shouldn't, but he has like a jack neck and traps like enough to support (laughs) his body so when he puts mm-hmm. his arms back like and kind of does his thing like he looks like he's flexing but in a in a realistic way also 
I had a my only nitpick, and and the more I think about it, maybe it's accurate. And of course, who the fuck knows? But when he walks, he walks and plants his foot like it. It seems very herky jerky. I don't mean that negatively, but to your earlier points about how something that big would move, it actually makes sense that it would stomp and have to stop because of gravity, right? Like it's, there's a reason animals aren't bigger than the, than a giraffe on earth because of the gravity can't pump blood higher than that from a heart to a brain. And so it's like, you know, something that big would be the, its mass would be so heavy. It would probably be really hard to walk. So I think, in this movie, the walk cycle, like if you look at it, it's kind of like step, stop, step, stop. Yeah. There's not a hip twist in it. It kind of feels too like like it's a it's a CG version of, you know, kind of a, a happy medium between the original man in a suit mm-hmm. Godzilla and this kind of more kind of updated. My my yeah. only beef was I I just didn't like the way the his um spines uh popped out, out. yeah that's when what he I was, was going say. atomic totally it was the one thing that made it feel kind of like itchy a little bit that it took something away from it was like a toy the, yeah yeah more than a, the realism also, of the of, that i felt like the, the rest of the film was kind of going for there were shots where the spines just seemed way too big for me for my taste right i'm not saying yeah. like they were just massive spines on its back and yes, the popping up thing, that was kind of weird. And also I'm reminded of that thing, you know, when um, you ever have a shot of a city and somebody blows up a power plant and the lights don't go all out at once, they kind of go, ka-dunk, 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 mm-hmm. ka-dunk, ka-dunk. like somehow the electricity takes a while to travel or not travel like water would, you know, to get to mm-hmm. the, and the, the furthest lights to the last ones to go out. And I'm like, it just, yeah, if you had a, I, I couldn't see why that would sequentially like ding 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 like that's a it's mechanical drama. Kind I mean, of it's, thing. It's a drama. It's a dramatic. No, I know it's drama, but it's it's just it's like a design decision I wouldn't have necessarily gone with. I, but yeah, the the guy in the suit thing is a phenomenon, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. yeah, in a sense, you get away with it by having the smaller arms, so you get that T Rex feel. Um, but you've got such a thick um, kind of body torso section that mm-hmm. feels like is could have a person in it that being said i don't think i was that worried about it feeling like a guy in a suit because it didn't look like no. it was you know a guy in a suit and also it you know had such depth and the obviously the the depth of field was correct and everything around it kind of worked pretty well um i mean this is a fairly classic post pipeline as i understand it like um you know houdini and uh uh you know Comping and nuke and that kind of stuff. That being said, I, it was the creature stuff was good, but I thought the destruction stuff was really good. I For thought sure. the destruction stuff gave you like, and just the whole age thing of the film, like it worked so nicely being set at that time. Because as you say, these dimensions that both visually worked, like the destructed, uh, the destruction of the city that had been bombed, and let's face it, fireballed because it wasn't just mm-hmm. the bombing; it was the fires through um, uh, Japan that was so horrendous. Um, before we turn sort of the nuclear stuff. And and so that gave it like um, gravitas, right? Like, I mean, it just wasn't just that it was Godzilla wrecking shiny 1960s Tokyo. It was this sort of sense that, yeah, he was living in an area that was trying to, which of course is where the minus one comes from, right? Like 
Tokyo or Japan was brought back to zero, and then this gets it into negative territory. But um, but yeah, no, I thought that really added, and then that gave you that, and as you said, Matt, the whole theme of a kamikaze pilot who refused to be a suicide bomber gave the film a lot of dimension that would otherwise have been problematic, I think, because sometimes in these films, I think you're kind of going, well, let's get back to the monster and the fun stuff because mm-hmm. all this other stuff is kind of like melodrama that I don't buy into. And I, well, really I think felt that's, like- that's the other thing I think that's impressive though, like budget wise, when you look at this movie is it's a period movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, which that's always like, you know, adds an extra chunk of change to anything you want to do like that. But the replication of all the vehicles, the, you know, what Tokyo would have looked like, you know, in that, you know, 19, late 1940s uh, kind of time yep. frame, the uh, Mitsubishi, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a, it's a zero or whatever, but like the little plane, it's no, it's the experimental plane, right? That's this yeah. kind of a fun yeah. uh, gag. Was the- it's this kind of crazy design. That but there was, of, I read a, I read a thing that there's only one of those in Japan. Uh, of those oh, planes, real, uh, like, real plane? no, they made one. They made one. Okay. They made a replica, and then and then uh, secretly donated it without saying where it came from. I guess to another museum or something. But uh, yeah, they they went and like somehow got the like talked to the museum, and they made their own. And so, right. but they had they had there's one reference in Japan, physical reference they could go look at. Uh, at least but, from what I read. Yeah, but but not less standing that, right? Just the environment work. Yeah. Like there are so many wide shots, so mm-hmm. many, because you need the wide shots because you can't have Godzilla if he doesn't have a environment upon which yeah. to stand in. And you get his scale from the buildings. So, And then there's the destruction of those buildings. And that's a lot of destruction and a lot of comping and yeah. a lot of I mean, there's crowds. There's sure. tons, of, tons of just full CG sections like that you would see in any yeah. other, like a Marvel type movie. And honestly, I didn't even think about it. Like, you know, it didn't occur to me while I was watching a movie because I was engrossed in the film that, oh, this entire shot is CG. Uh, it's it's pretty well, it's pretty well, uh, you know, contiguous. I, I was even thinking when I was watching it, like, if you had a really small budget like that, just getting all the extras, and then I'm thinking, would it be cheaper? Because, like, you know, they're all in period clothes. Yeah. and. And not just any period clothes, like those kind of Japanese, quite characteristic period mm-hmm. clothes. And um, I'm thinking, would it be cheaper to make digital doubles? Oh, that's not a good way out. Like, the, I couldn't see a cheap way out of their problems, right? They, yeah, mm-hmm. they weren't. There wasn't some obvious thing like, oh, the camera was always locked down, or like it was always at night, or like you know anything like that. Can we? Like, nope. Can we talk about the water sims? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. the other thing. <laughs> like, you have the period stuff, you have Godzilla, and then you have just a shitload of ocean sims and ocean shots uh that i was watching a thing that said they had like 50 terabytes of water sims that they were going that they had generate generated they were like they were like can we have another computer can we have another computer like they're just trying to run these sims they looked fantastic i thought i mean other than some scales issues that Matt, matt had brought up i think later in the movie but go ahead mike I was going to say the only one that didn't work. I think the water sims are brilliant, and I'm loath to even criticize anything because they've done such a spectacular job. But the shot where they find that it's in the trailer as well that um, busted up uh, ship in the water, mm-hmm. and it's just sitting on its side listing. So I think at the start of the one of the trailers, 
Um, that just didn't work for me at all. That just like wasn't a comp that I was buying. Um, it wasn't a tracking problem. It was just a comp problem with the water. Mm -hmm. It just seemed to be sitting absolutely on top of, not in the water. But later in the film, when you've got the whole Godzilla coming out of the water and in the water and boats being, uh, you know, obviously uh, CG boats uh, and naval vessels and stuff. Like, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I think um, the amount of render time they must have had to devote to like get those water sims would be incredible. So, yeah, as I say, I'm, I hate yeah. criticizing it because that's so astounding, but it, they did a really good job. Even the color palette on it was pretty good, I thought. like the Yeah, yeah, they kept the color palette really like – it felt period, but it didn't feel like like a a a, a plug in color, you know, like a plug like sepia mm. with scratches. Like not that anyone would do that, but it you know it felt very it was very subtle, but it like really had good texture and sat in to the to everything. But I I really appreciated the jaws, the sort of like back half of jaws uh, sort of vibe that they had with the little wooden boat out in the out in the thing and like the guys on the on the sea just you know fishing for mines you know which was you know, like think about it you're writing a movie up with a limited budget and you just you like choose to i mean i know it's a plot point later but you literally decide that okay we have to do like three mine explosions in our water sims <laughs> <laughs> to sell our plot yeah. point later. You know, it's just like, uh, okay, you know. I would definitely be there going, couldn't we have one of them just as a reaction on their faces watching yeah. it, like off camera? <laughs> yeah, can we have a bucket and some water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing when you don't see the compromises. They must have had compromises, but like, I was kind of aware of that. And I'm thinking, will I kind of notice that, you know, like we don't see this or we don't see that. And like, no, they pretty much went there whenever um, I'd read beforehand that there was kind of a reference or a thematic, um, if not visual reference to Jaws. And I was thinking, oh, so we're not really going to see Godzilla, right? It's going to be, you know, <laughs> right. maybe the last shot we have one Godzilla. No, yeah. no, we see him. Yeah. No, the reference was to the boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so what was your favorite uh, scene or or sequence, guys? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think you know, looking at the uh, stuff that's in the show, I mean, I think the, you know, obviously the the climax when they they hatch the plan to you know sink Godzilla and then uh, bring mm -hmm. Godzilla back up to the surface really quickly in an effort to you know cause him to uh, basically you know get an extreme version of the bends or something. <laughs> I think that that whole sequence is really fun, like watching that bit try to come together. But I think, you know, really for, for my money, like I really think probably my favorite sequence is the one that really feels like it's the classic where, you know, Godzilla first comes uh, to the city and he's, you know, stomping across the city. There's a couple really like pretty large, uh, simulated explosions that are thick, I think are really great. Um, and there's some great shots of like Godzilla's feet, you know, stomping, you know, kind of down this one 
uh, mm-hmm. avenue where there's like the train tracks in the middle of the road and there's all these like people running and some people getting crushed under his feet. And it's, it's like classic kind of old school Godzilla action. Um, but it's done in a way that's, you know, it's this period film. It's done with this new um, Godzilla design. And I think those shots are just, you know, really well uh, done. And I kind of can't, you, did you say the budget is like $10 million? Is that? I thought it was 13, but yeah. 13. But I mean, I what's so exciting to me about this movie and um, the one we just talked about, No One Will Save You, mm-hmm. is I feel like we've now seen just in this uh you know current season we've seen two pretty excellent like low budget visual effects movies um that don't skimp on effects and that don't really go for like you know kind of the tongue in cheek cheese ball thing either that like i think there's something really really exciting happening um in the production of films like this where we're seeing uh, yeah, really high production value and, you know, good directorial shot design and execution of, um, you know, high quality, but pretty relatively inexpensive comparatively, um, effects work. It's a really I mean, I would cool throw the moment. I would throw the creator in that list too, really for what they accomplished versus what that budget could have been, you know, uh, yeah, on a, on a slightly another level, but yeah, it's, it's another. Yeah, it's the next. It's the next level up, but it's still a. Uh, I, I would I would put it in the in the reaching beyond your means, uh, to a cent to a to a sense. Not not. It's not yeah. as it's not as. Um, uh, it's certainly not facing the same issues that say this movie had, and even no one will save you. Is what thirty something million, right? Um, yeah, so probably closer, actually, weirdly yeah. closer, probably to uh, the creator in that. Regard. And this this movie is is uh, about to hit a hundred million, and they're going to put out the in box office, and they're going to put out the monochrome version, uh, which I think that's the monochrome gonna, version that's really going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Which is, and they didn't just they went in and did like a full monochrome grade with like they didn't just turn everything black and white. Like they really went in and went for like a print stock vibe apparently yeah uh i mean godzilla in this film is on screen for 11 minutes apparently so you know like that's if we think about terminator 2 for example i can't remember what the stats were on that but it was like an astonishingly small amount of time if you if you make your time on screen work at the right time for the right reasons then 11 minutes seems like a lot yeah i think in Um, gareth's one it was eight minutes right or something of really? Godzilla Apparently, Tark. Gareth was at the at the premiere of this one, and he said he was actually jealous. It's like all Godzilla movies should be like. Oh this. yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, um, yeah, and I thought. Can I just say I thought <clears throat> the the scene that kind of resonated with me because I kind of I, I don't disagree with anything you've said, but I really liked the original thing where he's uh, unable to shoot Godzilla uh, in his plane mm-hmm. on the island when he just touched down with the quote mechanical problems oh, of yeah. being a kamikaze pilot. And I just liked that whole sequence. I liked it because it wasn't just, uh, it didn't feel like a gratuitous, let's have a big thing to get us going thing, but it also didn't feel like a throwaway teaser. There was, you know, and because it was more intimate and you sort of knew the guys that were being killed effectively and there was peril, I didn't, I mean, I I imagined that our hero wasn't going to die in that scene, 
but I didn't know about anybody else. And uh, obviously only one other person did survive that sequence. But you, when you're watching also, it, you kind of know these people at that point in the film. Also, it's at yeah, night with firelight and yeah. moonlight. It's yeah. not a fully yeah. lit thing. So you see him, but you don't get the full biscuit. Also, let's remember from a story perspective, that scene sets up the tone and tells us non-expositorily about our main character and how they kind of figure out and are are alluding to the fact that he might be a deserter and all these things and really setting up the tone of the like honor and the the traditional japanese kind of um personal you know responsibility kind of you know messaging which and then he goes on to be our expert so we the audience is him and he's the one who already knows about godzilla so so he's able to tell people and be involved and you know it's, it's very well set up well, so a, let me ask you this it's a great it's a great just, opener too really just really yeah. fast to add to that it's a great opener too because it's it's got a really like kind of gruesomely awesome body count mm -hmm. in like yes. the number the, the number of guys who are sort of killed Kind of like the attorney in the original Jurassic Park, who's picked up <laughs> off the yeah. off yes. the toilet in the Porta John or whatever. There's a lot of that kind of action, and but this is actually not really played for humor uh, in the in the way that I think that scene is in in Jurassic yeah. Park. But um, this is really played kind of for horror, and it's a it's pretty horrifying, and it's a gruesome, quick uh, dispatching of you know really almost all the guys in that. Uh, in that encampment uh yeah and the, i forgot even about that scene i mean it's the opening scene of the movie and it really grabs your attention it's a mm -hmm. it's a really uh, awesome opener that just sets the tone for the whole show well yeah. and the other guy survives <laughs> who he sees later in the thing when they're getting yes. ready yeah the thing but yeah, also the, the engineer but let's also not forget from a jaws perspective jaws is also at night in the beginning with a big set piece granted you don't yeah, see the shark point. But you understand that it's a shark and blah blah blah. Like it has, it's it's got a similar things. Not saying they ripped it off, obviously, but I mean, who wouldn't take the opportunity to take some plot structure from Jaws? You know, for sure. Uh, so what I was going to say is what I loved about that setup. I loved the visual effects in it, but I also loved it because it had sort of layers going on with his character. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely not convinced that he would survive the movie like it was plausible to me that he would die in a kamikaze type feat at the end because that would bring back the honor of not having done it at the beginning which is unusual because normally in a film like this you go okay well like the harrison ford character is not going to die the tom cruise character is not going to die but in this it was like it was on the cards i mean obviously you thought maybe he's going to pull an ejection seat trick that wasn't out of all possibility but it was also plausible that he actually would die and that's but, great because then you care but but actually too the other thing that i thought was so cool about the plot one the thing another thing i really liked along those same lines was that there was this other i i mean i don't know enough about japanese culture to speak uh uh intelligently about this so i'm it's speculative so you know forgive me it's a more humanist perspective maybe than a, a japanese cultural perspective but i like the the twist that was encapsulated in the story where it was about the, you know, the war and the war culture, the war footing of the society. And it was about these working people who were, you know, the soldiers, the cannon fodder for the war, 
who were now saying, no, you know what? All of our lives here, uh, all, all of our um, survival is important. Everyone's survival is important. Everyone's life is important. We aren't just going to sacrifice everyone. We're going to work together to try to save you know, everyone and everyone will come back alive. And I thought that that was kind of a cool, like it felt, it felt like a, a poignant um, narrative kind of uh, jab at maybe the sort of lockstep cultural component of, you know, the willingness to be a kamikaze, right. And sort of the pulling back from that, that idea of, you know, honorable sacrifice. And I thought that was kind of a cool uh, turn that I didn't expect, but I, I thought was kind of nice and felt um, contemporary and modern. Well, and even, even the, the, the whole, the, the main guy's main, main story where he meets the woman who's like a scavenger with the baby. And then you find out that it's not her baby either, but she, so, she, you know, they're all, right. they're all very human stories. It's like, for sure, you know, survivors coming together to survive after. Yeah. Horror. It makes it easy to care about all of them. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in a, not in a manipulative way, like it, because yeah. it's, because it's shadowed, shadowed in history, uh, historical truth. It you know, that's, and that's why, that's why I really felt like, even though it's a monster movie, it really feels like the other side of Oppenheimer. And it, to me, like, it's like, Hey, we just saw this movie about American excellence and all this stuff about like, you know, we, we did it and we figured it out and aren't we the smartest guys in the room, you know, whatever. But we also, the end result is that horrific, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, war crimes, if, you know, were committed on, you know, by people who didn't, who were like, knew that it was going to happen, but it wasn't their purview as a military. I'm not getting into like a whole judgment of World War II American <laughs> history, but, but to that point, it's, you know, we have Godzilla movies because of what happened in real life in Oppenheimer. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, <laughs> let me, yeah, it's just for what it's worth, like, I don't know. I, my father was Navy mm -hmm. and he held a strong opinion that, that the bombing did bring the war to an early finish, of course, which, which saved lives. But I also acknowledge the flip side, which is an enormous number of civilians died. But if we leave aside, cause I just don't want to have the war crimes comment. Oh no, I'm not sorry. I'm not, but, I, that's not what I meant, but per, you know, uh, directly. Yeah. Because I, but what I will say is regardless of one's opinion on the bombing thing you can't have anything that serious happen without the scarring of the psyche of the population and mm -hmm, this is sure. the reflection the manifestation of the scarring yeah. of the psyche of the population yeah and to that end it's done kind of it's done for entertainment but it's also done respectfully and in a sense like i feel in a non-flippant manner which is the only way i think it would have worked because anything less than that would have been i feel pretty horrendous i do think you're right in that it's it's sort of like a uh, well, it's an it's a a metaphor, obviously, rather than a sort of a linear telling the way yes. Oppenheimer is. But nevertheless, yeah, it is interesting to have that perspective of the other side of those on the receiving end of uh, of what happened. Um, also, just real quick, I wasn't singling out America as like some horrendous imperialist thing that was doing something other countries in the world weren't part of the World War II. I was just making a comment. Uh, no, no, just I know. about I just... specifically about 
the these specific actions of America that led to ending the war, which obviously needed to end, right? Like, uh, I don't, we don't need to get into a discussion of how and why and should and could. Uh, yeah. But I just, I was more no, no, referring I mean, I, it I to. Know, absolutely. I know you well, and I know where you're coming from, but just, you know, to clarify. Yeah, yeah, the totally. Units. Needs to be clarified. Um, but, um, okay, back to the visual effects for a second. So I stuck my neck out and said I didn't like the shot of that <laughs> ship on its side where the trawler comes up to it. Um, if you had, Matt, I think you said you didn't like the spines coming up. And I, is that, was just a design thing or was it actually the the actualization or the visualization of that? Mm, I mean, it's partially a design thing. I think the, the, the sort of, the, the, they're almost too geometric in a way, the way the, the spines are like, you know, a very specific kind of this angry kind of WV shape or something, you know, that, and then I think the way that they, uh, the, that they would pop out was kind of like, you know, it's like he's getting ready to do his like atomic breath thing. Um, I think that, it, but it's a minor thing. I mean, it's a it's a purely subjective design choice. It's one that doesn't really jive with my idea of, you know, the ultimate Godzilla design for this type of story. But I think it, it just, it felt more sci-fi modern Godzilla than the kind of uh, genre um, 40s era thing. Like it just, it felt a little more science fiction-y to me than I think what, at least tonally, what I felt the movie was going for. And then the only other thing effects wise, I think, you know, there's a couple comps that are kind of like, you know, you can really see some of the, the blurred edges between things and stuff like that here and there. Um, in particular, where uh, you have a lot of live action small people running in the foreground. I think, um, you know, they, some of that stuff starts to collapse a little bit as it's, uh, as actors who are shot, you know, I assume on some kind of, um, green screen or something where they're extracted and then they're shrunken down, um, that there's a, an issue I think that you see sometimes where as a higher resolution thing is collapsed and brought down, like there's this sort of mismatch between, you know, the full resolution background and then the scaled resolution of the characters and the masks and stuff. And so there's some, a few things like that, that I noticed just in passing where I was like, oh, like that's a really cool composition. Like, and that's a comp, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then the only other, the only other one that I thought was just weird. And again, it just, maybe just because, uh, you know, you said your dad was in the Navy. I have a cousin that was in the Navy. Um, has since retired and uh there's this a thing where there's i think three pretty large japanese like destroyers and they're so close together <laughs> i think they even actually collide at one point and it's like those are the kind of things that like no real navy uh, yeah. would ever uh get the ships that close together for a number of reasons mind you i think it's in the film greyhound uh, the Tom Hanks mm -hmm. one, they right. have them like actually skidding along the side of a submarine or a torpedo skidding along the side and stuff. And uh, yeah, some of those do stretch the bounds of uh, nautical uh, probability. And, but they uh, make for really entertaining cinema, but it's sort mm -hmm. of like, if you know yeah. anything about, you know, a large uh, ship in water and the amount of time yes. it takes for something like that to turn, to respond yes. to a turn, you know, I, that kind yeah. of stuff sort of, you know, 100%. if you know anything about that, you're sort of like, nah, you know, okay. Yeah, just well, rewatch Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it took a long yeah, time. Yeah, I do like it when they get turn. one of those. I like when those big ships seem to do a uh, like handbrake turn, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they skid around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, really? Because that's not how they work. <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Uh, okay, so just back to the spine things for a second. So we have like a um, a lizard in this house, like a, a bearded dragon lizard, like it's quite large. The thing about any reptile like that, and obviously I've done a lot of time studying this guy because he's, uh, he's, he, uh, he's a pet of my daughter. Um, all the scales and the spines on it have a, has a sort of an inherent logic to it, which is obviously in this case, it's stopping a predator from picking it up or it's to allow them to grip onto things so that they can hang off the side of something you know, without having to use just purely uh, their uh, biceps and triceps to hold on. So there's like, a, but you don't have to understand the anatomy of a lizard like that to just sort of get it. But I couldn't sort of get the, if you like, biological imperative that led to the spines. Like they didn't seem like they would have evolved. Like I would have, I mean, I don't need to know what they were specifically for, but it had to be sort of like something, if they're there for like a peacock for decoration, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And like also Godzilla's in the water a lot. And I'm like, I just, I don't know, it just felt like, uh, they were a design element that lacked a cultural basis in biology almost. I like, like, the, I I like the, the function of it for dramatic purposes. Like in the theater and my, my kid uh, who's 17 came yeah. with me to work the show in Detroit. So we, I was sitting next to him in the theater and like both of us were like, oh shit, you know, like you, like <laughs> it works from an, from an excitement yeah, and yeah. A drama standpoint. Um, I think it's almost more a, of like a manga design that shape, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's a, well, it's a toy design yeah. really. Right. Yeah. Like if you really think yeah. about it, it's what would happen in a, like, it's like slots from a, cause like, where do those, like, it felt very, um, to your point, geometric, like, like they were, went into a slot, not that they were like biologically connected. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It, it probably would have been better if they like laid down and were standing up as opposed to popping out. Maybe like quill almost, but I mean that we yeah, can be quills because yeah. it that doesn't work in the character creature design. Um, but from a dramatic standpoint, I loved it. I was just like, oh shit, you know. Like I think they do it twice. <laughs> um, my issue, and it was also a scale issue. In the in the the first time we see Godzilla interact with the battleships is amazing, and the scale is perfect. I actually he's probably it's slightly too big, but it doesn't matter because he's like thrashing the ships. And I think it's when the, when the little boat sees Godzilla for the first time come out and he hits the Navy guys and he, and he takes down the two or three battleships or whatever it is. That was amazing. Now, can I say this whole thing with the spines, I did want to acknowledge that they've been there for a long time, right? These are not like a recent addition in this movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Godzilla yes. over time have had the spines. Yes, like, of I mean, course. if somebody's a diehard, they'd be like, do it without the spines? I dare No, you. no, you cannot. How dare you? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Even Mechazilla had Yeah, that. yeah. So, <laughs> so, the, so the first time you see him and, and he attacks the boats, it's rad. And they have the overhead shots and everything, and the scale's great. And then later in the movie, in the third act, when all the boats, when they're actually interacting with him and trying to do the whole thing and he's surrounded by the boats, he looks tiny. Like he doesn't look like he's bigger right. than the boats. Um, 
And I thought that was that was the issue I had was that there was a couple moments and it's mostly in the water for those like in the in the in the in the city and stuff, you know, yeah, you know, I don't have that problem. But it was just in the water. There was a few shots in the third act where he felt too small. Um, yeah. I did love the shots where he's like uh, swimming behind the boat. He almost looks like a puppy kind of like swimming and it's like his back is wiggling. Like he looks very calm and almost happy. Like he's just following them and he's got like a big, you know, the mouth is open a little bit and the water's pushing by. And then uh, I think he goes under and there's a couple under shots and you see his body wiggling with the tail, like an alligator or something. Uh, those shots I loved. I thought they were super successful. Um, I think those kind of monster scale changes. Anytime you have a character that is like Godzilla, like that is really big. Um, there is often, I think in, in mo effects movies like this, there's some fungibility of scale and they'll, they'll take time to, you know, not always match the exact scale mm -hmm. of the character consistently throughout the movie. But what can we tweak the scale a little bit in this sequence um, to really maximize the, you know, uh, the composition of the shots yeah, and for the, sure. you know, sort of the, the height and the tension and stuff. And I think you see that a lot in, I think when we did like, uh, was it Skull Island? Mm -hmm. I think there were several examples of Kong changing scale and what, where we, but it was sort of like, eh, it, it's still, who cares? Like that was so fun. Oh know? yeah. Like, uh, much like your comp <laughs> comment. Like it, it wasn't like, oh my yeah. God, this, this whole sequence is destroyed. It was just like, yeah. oh, hmm, he seems a little small. Oh, whatever. Oh, he's gonna. What's he gonna do next? You know, like. I just think it's, <laughs> but it is interesting. Yeah, like from yeah. an effects standpoint, like all the things that you notice, like that, and you think, like, oh, okay, like, yeah. So he changes size a little bit here in this sequence because relative to the ships, or because mm -hmm. he's largely in water, he has yeah. to be bigger to appear Godzilla-like or whatever. You know, so it's just kind of interesting what? to take note of. One question I want to ask you guys, because I'm clearly not enough of a Godzilla aficionado to know this. The whole 37 whatever pictures before, is it already an established canon that he has this uh, regenerative ability to just sort of miraculously repair things at lightning speed when injured? Is that a pre-existing part of Godzilla canon? I, I know that it was a part of, uh, I believe... Uh... <laughs> It's funny that I know this. I just find it, find it amusing for myself, but I think it's Godzilla 2000 uh, where he uh, is merged with an alien regenerator G. <laughs> and he, he, in that, that's the one that I know most where I've seen that regeneration of health. I don't remember that in the, like the more kind of kitschy, you know, seventies yeah, and Godzilla. I don't remember ones. that bit in that. So I think he doesn't, I think in those, like he never gets hurt enough. I mean, he gets knocked out and then he like at the end, he swims away usually. Right. Like he doesn't, they're not like we killed Godzilla. And then the next movie they're like, here he is again. Right. Like, well, there's somewhere he's like, where he's almost like, it's like a Rocky movie, you know, yeah. where he's like, he's, he's getting beaten yeah, yeah. down and he rope a dopes mm -hmm. and then he kind of, you know, comes yeah, back and yeah, he's, like, he's ready he to that. rock yeah. and yeah, <laughs> totally. Or the, well, there's one where he jumps and he does this kind of mm -hmm. like weird pose oh, yeah, the, in the, the air. Arm, yeah, the arm yeah. pose. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but I don't recall the regeneration thing, although that might be something that's more, my son would probably know. 
can I can I bring up the roar? Would it be because the roar is also equally as iconic, uh, and they've changed. It's changed oh, yeah. over the years. I think in Gareth's one or one of the other, maybe the one after that, they used like uh, the sound of a bus skidding as like the bass <laughs> under the thing. In this one, I don't know if you guys looked it up, but uh, the sound designer uh, she took the original Godzilla roar to a baseball stadium. Uh, an outdoor 30,000 seat baseball stadium and cranked it over the PA and recorded that, uh, which I think is incredible. And she said, she said in the the thing I read, she said that when she heard it that loud, she's like, I honestly had a thought like, this is what people who actually would see Godzilla would hear. That's so cool. Like outdoors and was like, oh shit. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's like Walter Murch times a million, like what he did on THX with the stuff in the gymnasium and like half speed re-recordings and stuff mm-hmm, he used to do to mm-hmm. make the make the room sound like four times the size or whatever. It's uh it's great. That's really cool. Yeah. It's the sound yeah. equivalent of the yeah, over cranking, you know, to make Godzilla look bigger, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, I think it's I think it's serves a couple of purposes, right? Like, firstly, it's an homage to the original. And secondly, it just seems like an innovative way to get a good sound. Mm-hmm. For to sure. record it over loudspeakers in a exterior environment. Like, yeah. I love those stories of, like, sound design on Star Wars and stuff where he's hitting high tensile steel <laughs> wires and playing them, like, kind of... Um, mm-hmm. Walking with, uh, past a TV yeah. and being like, what's a, what's that sound? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, a lot, lot of that was... Stuff. I think was... the sound guys... Ben Burt. Oh yeah, it's all yep. Ben Burt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know those those stories are the VFX equivalents of sound for me. Those guys are just. I mean, whenever I hear that, I'm like, and also just the obvious thing that ADR guys do, like you know, a punch is somebody dropping a cabbage on a table. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> it just has the right kind of thump sound. Oh, I think it and was. Like, um, yeah. What show did we do? I think it was one of the Star Wars. There was, uh, I think. Was it one of those Star Wars, or maybe it was a, maybe I forget what it was, but it was one of those uh, effects movies. And the the sound. Sorry, you went on this show. We were yeah, 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 yeah. The sound of <laughs> the sound of the biggest monster was the sound designer's like six month old baby. He's like, oh, he, he's cool. like, my baby used to make this weird sound, and I rec- and I was like, I'm gonna make the biggest monster come from the littlest source. And he recorded the audio and then turned it into this big, like, <laughs> you know, it slowed it down and did all this stuff, pitched it down. It's, you know, fun stuff. So thematically, it's valid because it's when it's set and or how it actually gets us in. Then visually, it's incredible for the budget. Um, and then also, I think we just like the attitude the tone mm-hmm. of the film like in that it's well, not i have you know, to ask though real fast one question of both of you guys did you buy that his uh w- like wife or fiance or whatever that she was alive at the end did you buy that did that work for you that she came back <laughs> that she was in the hospital i i figured she was the second when he wasn't dead so we established that the movie was like if he died, then I would have not expected her to have yeah. been alive. Mm-hmm. But once he was pulled the ejector seat, I'm like, oh, it's that kind of movie. 
Well, of course, she's going to find him in the hospital, yeah. right? Yeah, I guess I oh. guess I thought that was. I mean, it, maybe it's great for for kids or something. I just thought that was such a cop out. Like, like, well, no, like that's kind of part of the his journey is that he loses her right when he's about to like, you know, have this life connection with her. And, but it's a, but then he gets it back, you know, it's sort of like Han Solo not dying in the Empire Strikes Back or something. <laughs> anyway, all right. Just yeah. had to ask if that worked for you guys or not. It didn't, it didn't bother me. It, I mean, I think a lot, I mean, it's kitschy a little bit, but along the lines of the, I think the tonality of the film of like a new hope, dare I use that phrase, uh, at the end of, you know, like post-war, like, could things be good? Like, maybe it was like, just they're like, hey, let's let this, let's let them have some happiness. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm, it's, I mean, that's just. Uh, it's my old cynic if, coming out at the end. Yeah, I mean, no, no, you know. If he, if he died, if he'd given his life to protect Japan, yeah, and killed Godzilla, then you couldn't have had the regeneration of part of Godzilla under the water later, because that would have meant he died for nothing. Mm -hmm. But so there's a bunch of connected things there. But honestly, if they'd had him die and she was just dead, literally dead, then this would have been the, I think it's the equivalent, the Japanese equivalent of Old Yeller. You know, it's that Old <laughs> yeah, Yeller. That right. <laughs> yeah. That everyone would have been like, this is terrible, this film. It's so sad. It's terrible. But it would have been brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Like the trouble is, though, I think when it's, you it's see hard those sell. things. Who who had oh, rabies yeah, because... in that though in uh, in the Godzilla movie? <laughs> it... That's why I sh <laughs> shot them. Um, so my thing is like it, it's hard because in one sense you you really want everyone to be live happily ever after, but the film is kind of hollower for it. I don't know. But uh, but they I guess they kind of they go for the like he's he he had a choice. He's he's recommitted himself to to uh, ending his life to save Japan. And he has an option based on how things go to do, which we don't know about until the end, that he has the, you know, so the audience is led to believe he's doing the right thing. He's, he's you know, doing the job he was supposed to have done, but had he done, maybe he wouldn't have met these people and changed their lives in whatever way and helped everybody out. So now he's doing it. He's he's doing the suicide run. I have to do it. And then there's a little redemptive thing like, okay, because you made that choice, you have the option of an ejector seat, <laughs> basically, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not which, saying it's, I mean, it, it worked fine for me. It's like, oh, it's an ejector seat. But like, I, I agree. It would have been better if there was just the old lady and the baby at the end with the envelope of money and neither of them were there, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, I guess it would have been more is, sad though, but it's like, this gives you like hope there's hope. And it's like turning the page from the, the war mm -hmm. into this new future. Right. I guess. So, yeah. I mean, I'm and, sort of like contradicting myself here, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you're, no, no, you're I think, convincing I think it would have been, it would have been more heroic if he'd given his life for, but then this happens in everything, right? Because the same thing you could argue was in the Dark Knight trilogy, right? Where he flies the bomb off mm -hmm. to, so that Gotham doesn't have the nuclear explosion. Only then in the sort of almost post-credit sequences that we see him in, in Paris, mm -hmm. um, you know, talking to really Alfred. And you're like, oh, well, movies. he didn't die. What? I just <laughs> what? barely remember <laughs> this movie. <laughs> um, 
But here's the thing, right? Would Rogue One have worked better if everybody had survived? Because at Rogue One, they do kill them all, right? Yeah. Rogue mm. One, the heroes get the thing out and then the Death Star Ray causes them to hug each other on the beach as they get obliterated. And I thought that was terrible and terrific. Like it was terrible because yeah. I wanted them to survive, but brilliant filmmaking, right? I think I just liked that they actually killed some people. Yeah. Because I don't like it when there's nothing at stake and everybody's just going to survive no matter what. But also, but also in the milieu of what is now the Star Wars universe, it was refreshing to see a movie that, at least in the future of those characters, would not have sequels and and additional things because they serve their purpose. They did their duty basically as soldiers, you know, in the in the kamikaze sense. They did their duty. They solved the problem and. Thank you very much. Now we can have prequels with them, a la Andor, uh, and that's fine. Greatest, well, greatest that idea too. Of, yeah, yeah. We have those, I, those I who make the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. You know, but like, that's my point. But yeah. that's exactly my point, right? They yeah. made the ultimate sacrifice because in the Star Wars canon, they are, you know, the whatever's paid the heavy price to get us this information. Like mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. there's a weight of this cost us a lot to get this information. Don't screw Many it up because died. people gave their Bring lives this for this. Exactly. Thank you. That was a lot I couldn't remember. <laughs> Many Bothans died. And it wouldn't have been as dramatic if it had been many bothans really hurt themselves and got injured but they're okay don't worry yeah. uh, to bring us this information Many and similarly in their this, toes to bring us this yeah. information but in similarly in this it's set up at the beginning that he doesn't give his life for his country yeah right and so it would have been i think a valid artistic choice for him to give his life for his country or now for, it would have been for really daughter, tugging at the heartstrings you know, or something yeah exactly but i mean really really tugging at the heartstrings if he gave his life and then we discovered she was alive. Oh, see that? That would have been. that. That's a good one. But the, the yeah. reason I think it works for me is, again, to what Matt said when he contradicted his, himself, which is, is there is a redemp- redemptive quality to the turning of the page of the older mentality of the past, which hopefully in some ways was closed by the bombing, that is now renewed by like, okay, maybe just killing yourself for your country, literally not just going in the field and might get killed, but literally killing yourself for your country might not be the best idea. Let's think about a new future. So, so it's, it's, I'm, there's I'm mi- convinced they're both good, good options. I think they're like, both, good, both options. good options. I think Mike, I think Mike has the good one. Uh, we've coalesced on Mike's permutation of him dying, but the, then seeing the mom or the woman, you know, being alive uh, at the very, would be the very last shot, right? Because you'd see the guy yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd uh, all of Japan would be saved and people would be celebrating like Ewoks and, and the, <laughs> and you'd see the old lady with the money and the kid. And at the very she end, wouldn't get, you'd see she'd the, be the only one that wouldn't get the medal. Yeah. She's the only one that wouldn't get the medal. Yeah. And then at the very end, yeah. you'd just see like the door open, very American, the, the door would open and you'd see, you'd see her, but she would have to have amnesia. <laughs> so, so she survived, but she has no idea what she's missing and what she's lost. She has no relationship to the little kid. Well, she doesn't anyway. The little kid has to get looked after. Yeah. The old him. lady has her that she, that they left her with the, the front, the, like the neighborhood lady. When he gives her the money True. before he leaves. It's okay. all sewn up. It's all sewn up. Um, we got it. 
Okay, good. Um, <laughs> we've, so, we've sufficiently Americanized the Japanese film. <laughs> yeah, we've ruined it. That's good. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, there's a whole thing you unpack there about that comment. I'm just going to leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, um, okay, so does this, okay, I'm going to finish up. <laughs> I have a final kind of thing. Visual effects only. Does this film get from the Bake Off to nominated? Because it's in the list for Bake Off. Um, I feel like you'd have, you so, have to be in the room to see the presentation they give. I, I yeah. think that's that's a big part of, I think, the the voting block for the effects Oscar when they see all that stuff in the Bake Off. I think that's when a lot of those decisions are made. And I, I think it's hard to say. I would I would say I don't think it's out of the running. It, it could be a year where uh, creator uh, Godzilla minus uh, one, and we haven't really mentioned it today, but Poor Things was also not a huge budget. Yeah. And not a, but if those films kind of got in, um, it could be one of those years when we have a, uh, visual effects awarded to the small film that did more than its budget should have allowed type reward, as opposed to this is the new innovate. Like a Avatar was incredible innovation, incredible yeah. depth of massive amounts of visual effects, but no one for a second thought they didn't have money to spend, right? Like, right. Yeah. You know, well, it's the everything the, the, everywhere the argument from last year, right? Like, yeah. And that if everything everywhere all at once had got into the Oscars, I've had, members of major visual effects houses say that they thought it could have actually won because the general community, not the uh, VFX community that puts it into the nominations, but obviously the general community that votes for that would have gone, oh, wow, that film did so well for so little money. We'll give it the, well, you know. I, and again, yeah. I mean, that does that beg the question that are the, because there are VES awards and other awards for visual effects that are celebrating of technical achievements and the Oscars should be about the, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, the storytelling ability of the visual effects to support the film. No. Or are they also, or are they also yeah, technical? Think, are they also considered technical for slice, the Oscars? They are, I think. Yeah. I don't think they okay. slice it quite that thin. I mean, no. I, but I do think it involves that, that, innovation. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think what Mike's saying That's is fair. true too. It's like, it's often the case that when the, the whole academy votes that's when you sometimes see like the odd man out takes yeah. the prize and it's because it probably in the minds of the academy voters is more in line with what you're saying jason where it's like right. it's really servicing you know the larger story mm -hmm. it's not so much at that point about you know maybe the technical achievement um measuring that bit yeah but then you know hey it's just an honor to be nominated <laughs> Ex Machina. Ex Machina fell in that for me, right? Ex Machina fell in the category of this film delivered more what than it should have been. was the movie it was up against that year? There was an, I remember that being kind of shocking. It was up against another really big film. Uh, you guys recall? Um, oh, oh okay. I see. It I'll was, look it up for you. It was Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, The Force Awakens, and Ex Machina. Ah, uh, yeah. Machina That's a heavy stack. So, but that's it. I mean, I have to say in hindsight, looking back I, of all those films, I mean, The Martian, awesome. Mad Max Fury Road, awesome. 
the yeah. effects in both the Revenant and Force Awakens, like, I mean, so good. But I got to say, looking I back. I thought Mad and, Max was going to win it that year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I did too. But I think, I, yeah, I'm sure we did a show on that that year. But I do think that Ex Machina is a movie that, at least for my money, it's it holds up, it stands up. I that's one I've gone back and rewatched mm-hmm. multiple times. Like that's. A- I wasn't saying it wasn't deserving of the Oscar. I was simply pointing to the fact that it, uh, I believe, attracted, um, like it was an excellent film, which is why it won the Oscar, right? Yeah. Um, but I just feel like it attracted this. Wow, they pulled off so much, and they didn't have, you know, like a mega budget, and it wasn't a sequel. And yeah, you know, there's a bunch of things. Well, it was also VFX. Intimate. I think VF, VFX too. artists were surprised. I think that people were surprised that it won. I think in the VFX yeah. community, up against those other films. But but then yeah. this is the thing, isn't it? Like as we just got back to it, like, and I guess we've drifted off here a bit. But the thing is, what are you you giving the Oscar for? It's got to be this combination of innovation, quality of work, uh, delivering on the story, um, mm-hmm. and and impressive visual effects by those that yeah. you know appreciate how difficult it is. I, I, you don't tend to get it when it you does happen, but you don't tend to get it so much when it's a sequel because the theory is, oh, well, they'd kind of done that before. Right. So it's hence Unless not, the first one didn't get um, it. And then the sequel's yeah. uh, valid. I mean, the, 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 obviously the thing that makes that unfair is I think the uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Which like, mm-hmm. you know, clearly wasn't the case. But um, yeah, anyway, so I think this film stands only a 50-50 chance of getting through the bake-off. I think part of the problem is going to be that while it's stylistically and narratively really, really good, there have been 37 Godzilla movies, right? And yeah. So I think it'll, it won't be rewarded for originality of visual effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be rewarded for, oh my God, it's the, you know, done amazing work for the budget. But, um, you know, there is a, uh, a lack of originality in producing a Godzilla that'll work against it. Not that this wasn't great, but yeah. It's one of the only other movies this year that has a legitimate nuclear mushroom cloud that's CG and not practical. (laughs) Not a practical (laughs) mushroom cloud, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. Well, look, we've run out of time, but it's been great uh, covering the show with you guys. Um, And uh, any final thoughts on... uh, um, you know, what you'd like to see next? Like, where are we going from here? Like, we've, we've been talking about the Oscars. Is there anything that you think we should cover of the films we haven't yet covered for the Oscars or anything? Or hmm. I'm putting you on the spot here, I know, but... Uh, um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, there are some interesting films. You know, there's that Netflix thing that had uh, Julia Roberts and uh, oh, uh, Ethan Hawke. I must be there's, going it's not or whatever. A, yeah, and uh, Mahershala Ali, and it's not a big effects movie, but there are some actually pretty good Very effects good in some of it. Very yeah, good. I mean, it's like, and yeah. it there's like so Sam many Asmail, great. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it could be fun at some point maybe to to look at some of the films that have come out and do a, a something that's been in the sort of cultural effects universe zeitgeist for a while, and maybe do a show at some point where we talk about you know all the movies that are uh, filled with 
so-called invisible effects mm -hmm. you know, that might be a fun story to do at some point and to talk about the um uh some of those really good ones you know uh that are out there the killer too mm -hmm. I think has a yeah lot i need to see it. that one we haven't discussed is society of the snow that's oh yeah possible yeah. Yeah, I, yeah i love me some jay Wish bayona he's my dude and that falls into the definite category of uh, more invisible effect. I mean, obviously, some things are quite obviously effects. The third, but, yeah. the third film adaptation of that story, the second being the movie Alive, mm -hmm. where mm. just a side story. I was just telling my son this uh, earlier today because he he brought up that film. And he's like, "Oh, I got to watch that. That looks so good." And I was like, "Oh, there was a movie. You know, when I first started working at ILM as an intern." They were shooting the crash of mm. the plane on the Andes with a, a, I mean, a pretty large scale miniature, and it was, you know, on wires and came down and crashed over the snow, and they were over cranking, and I was there the day they shot that. It was just such a cool, like oh, first introduction into like mm -hmm. the universe of visual effects uh, as a you know young 21, 22 year old. It was really cool. That's amazing. Oh yeah. Okay, so uh, let's do that. Uh, as I say, there's a lot of stuff um, that's coming out at the moment, and uh, increasingly there will be more stuff now that strikes are over. That we, I Thank definitely God. feeling the, yeah, think feeling the lack of that stuff. As I've said a couple of times, I think hit um, about April, and it's going to get real busy out there for VFX artists as that uh, pipeline fills up. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, where can people uh, follow up with you if they want to? connect um mattwallen.com and i'm on uh what is it called threads and mastodon as matt wallen oh and i've recently been doing a ton of stuff on um trying to get rid of most of my social media but on uh letterboxd and i'm oh, just cool. matt wallen on Letterboxd too and have rated some 493 movies i think oh at man this point. <laughs> wow uh jason uh everywhere you can type in jason diamond uh and the diamondbros.com and uh yeah all that stuff does that does that include blue sky no no i'm okay. i'm still on x and instagram and threads and whatever i i enjoy the chaos of uh x uh, uh in not the really not the racist chaos but the other chaos you know, interest. I mean, there's still a lot of good people. Like I have great conversations with Stefan Soretti and like a lot of visual effects people on Twitter still. So it's like, I I don't want to like not have those conversations. So I, I don't I don't find myself getting like overwhelmed by like crazy Nazis the way other people seem to have been uh, overwhelmed. So uh, meaning that I don't see them really at all. Not like I have a threshold for Nazis. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, as the Blues Brothers once said, I hate Illinois Nazis. Uh, yes. Uh, and of course, uh, I'm over at uh, FX Guide. Hey, um, thanks so much for being with us uh, this time. And uh, congratulations to the artists involved in doing this. And uh, it is an incredible effort. And uh, I, I said several times in the show, I feel really bad criticizing anything that's this good done on this kind of uh, setup and budget but uh, hey that's what we're here for thanks so much for listening we'll catch you guys next time see you if you have any questions or comments please email us at vfx at fxguide.com
Copyright, FX Guide, LLC.